Hi. My name's Sean. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, hey. Uh, if I look familiar, it's because I'm usually up here and there's like a guitar in front of me and I'm making noise, um, leading worship for the church. One of my greatest um, joys and something that I love the most is, is singing with the church. And uh, it's, it's been really cool to watch the teams, especially Matt, um, Matt Bloom, our worship resident intern. I don't know that we've given him an official title other than he shows up and is awesome every week. Uh, so what a, what a great thing it was to, to sing with everybody offstage and get to hear the voices and, and be a participant in that aspect. It was awesome. It was awesome. Um, today's going to be a little weird, and I just want to give a disclaimer. I'm not responsible for the words I say. They put me up here. They told me to teach. It's not on me. I wash my hands of everything. <laughs> All right? So we'll NDA. We'll be passing those out here pretty soon. Um, not really. I want to, before we dive into the text, which is going to be Psalm 40 this morning, I want to take some time setting up where we're going um, and give us some tools to read the scriptures with, specifically the Psalms. Um, there's a quote by a guy named David Schrock that I want to open us up with here this morning. David says, read the Psalms with multiple historical contexts in mind. This is not to change the author's original intent, but to recognize that through the history of redemption and the progress of revelation, the inspired word of God, especially the Psalms, find multiple literary settings whereby God leads his people with his word. And all that to say, the Bible is not a random jumble of words. It makes sense. We believe the truth of 2 Timothy 3.16, that all scripture is God-breathed. There's rhyme. There's pattern. It's, it makes sense. We can piece it together. Um, the Bible is extremely simple and yet incomprehensible at the same time. It's simple in the sense that uh, you can boil it down to that. Um, if you ever grew up in Sunday school, Jesus loves me, this I know. For the Bible tells me so. That's it, man. That's, that is the Bible right there. Jesus loves you. And the Bible tells us so. But because it talks about God, it is completely incomprehensible for our brains to even begin to wrap around. But, they, but it makes sense. Um, we, we, can, we can at least try. Um, so here's, here's the segue um, before we get, we get rolling, and it'll make sense in a second, so please just please bear with me here. Um, I want to I talk about music for a second. Um, this is a huge passion of mine. It's like half of my job is talking about music and hanging out with musicians and using music to glorify God and, and lead the church in worship. Music has rhymes. And music has... Uh, music joke. Music has rhymes. I'm so funny. Um, that was an accident, too. Uh, if anybody's feeling brave, if not, we're going to move on real quick. I'm not going to waste too much time on it. But if someone wants to shout out what your gut reaction is to the question, what is music? How would you define music? Praise. Praise? I like it. Okay. Joy. Is that what I heard? Expression. Expression. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Nobody's wrong. It's not a bait and switch. I'm just curious what you guys thought. 
Um, it's, it's good to know that you're at least, somebody's willing. We had a couple. Men's three. Is that a record? Where's Gary? I don't know. That might be a record for the most engagement after a question. Just killing it this morning, guys. This is awesome. Wikipedia's definition of music is this. Music is an art form and cultural activity whose medium is sound, organized in time. General definitions of music include common elements such as pitch, rhythm, dynamics, and the sonic qualities of timber and texture. Different styles or types of music may emphasize, de-emphasize, or omit these elements. Question. How many notes in Western music scale? Anybody feeling brave? Nobody look on Google. Yeah, I know we know you, Phil. Yeah, Phil knows. <laughs> Phil's a music wizard. If you guys didn't know that, he's running sound. He's a wizard, music wizard. Does anybody that doesn't do this for a living know the answer? Close. Eight, well, eight is, we'll, we'll give you a half credit for that one. The answer is seven. So there are going to be seven individual notes, often referred to as eight, because music as a pattern repeats with whatever note you started with in the musical alphabet. So eight could be considered to be the octave up. Half credit. Good work. Nice. Nice. How many keys in Western music? Nope. Nice, thank you though. Thanks for trying. Thanks for playing. It's kind of a trick question, but not really. You're, you're, you're on the right track. The answer is 24. There are 12 major keys and 12 minor keys in Western music. Interesting tidbits. Now, last one, and this is super important, so I hope you're taking notes or you're following along. Who is the greatest songwriter? Yeah, that's right. That was the, that was the correct answer. There it is. That's right. It's this guy. If you guys know who he is, Tom Waits. This is, this is just a plug. I love Tom Waits, man. He is, he is my jam. He's an acquired taste, though. So uh, after church, please listen at your own discretion. He's, he's an acquired taste, but... I, I, I had to throw them in there, sorry, sorry. Uh, all the music that we've ever heard written by Tom Waits, myself, or since the 60s up until now, or before the 60s, um, we started recording stuff on a more consistent basis, they've all used those same seven or eight notes, and they've all existed within those keys. All music across all mediums ever exist within that context. Like, do you realize how nuts that is? Seven notes. We're, we're talking the Beatles to Metallica to, I don't know who's popular, I don't listen to pop music. Billie Eilish, I think she's popular right now. There is extreme variety. It is simple, yet extremely complex, and the depth in which uh, just music itself as a medium exists. Um, and do, <laughs> to, uh, to, to exemplify this, I just I really need us to understand the implications of how simple and complex music is. There are pieces that you can move around and slide and, and build and building blocks type of thing. Uh, I have a video. Uh, before we play it, though, 
It might not be everybody's cup of tea. All right, I enjoy, I was belly laughing this morning uh, with Phil and some of the other band members as we were watching this video. Um, again, I don't teach regularly. If this offends somebody, take it up with Gary. Okay, <laughs> let's watch. Who knows who the band was? Nirvana. That is my childhood. Maybe I just dated myself. 90s rock and roll band, Seattle, Nirvana. Uh, who knows who, who they dubbed over top of Nirvana? Rick Astley. That's right. Now, who grew up with Rick Astley? Yeah, one. Okay. <laughs> All right. I think that's hilarious. All they did was rip the audio from <laughs> that song from Rick Astley and put it over Nirvana. Um, same tempo, same key signature. I think that's hilarious. If you don't, I'm sorry. That's, that's good stuff. That is good stuff. All right. So we're going to apply the concept of music to the Psalms. And that's why we did so much set up on the front half. This is not exhaustive. This is not meant to be a comprehensive understanding of how to approach the Psalms. It's just a tool to help us frame how uh, we read the song, Psalms. I'm not reinventing the wheel here. This is just to help us order how we read them. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the Psalms in light of keys. Psalms in light of keys. And uh, as, we, as we roll on, it's important to note that it's not, um, we're not going to leave Psalms in specific key signatures. We've got D, E, C, and F. And Psalms can and should more often than not transition in between these four keys. It's a framework for us to work with. So the first one we're going to talk about is the key of D. And that sets the individual Psalm in its original setting. D stands for uh, Davidic, or it could be any other historical author of the Psalms. And we know from the other psalms that each psalm originally possessed a historical setting where the psalm originated. Essentially, view a psalm through the key of D uh, in, in the lens of historical context. Who wrote it? Where? Why? There is a historical context. The next key is the key of E. 
And that sets the individual psalm in the context of the Psalter itself. Now, if you've never heard the phrase Psalter, it's just a fancy term for the book of Psalms, the collection of them altogether. E stands for exile, the place where the Psalter in its canonical form arose, whereas the key of D focuses on the original historical setting, this key focuses on the literary setting, where it fits in the grand scope of the narrative. The whole Psalter was written to post-exilic Israel, so there is a historical setting, but this key helps us most carefully with the arrangement and messianic message of the Psalter. Understanding the literary placement highlights important truths about God based upon the context in and around a specific passage. So like when we come to Psalm 40, what does Psalm 39 say and how does that influence 40? What does Psalm 41 say and how does that influence Psalm 40? What does the Psalm, so all of them together say about Psalm 40 and how is that a part of the grand literary narrative and how does that point to Jesus? The next one is the key of C. And that sets the individual psalm in the context of the Bible as a whole. C stands for Christ, the Messiah of whom the Psalter speaks. While many psalms speak of David or his son Solomon, the ultimate aim is that of Christ. For example, in Acts 4, verse 25, it quotes Psalm 16. And it says, uh, for David says, concerning him. In the key of D, Psalm 16 may not have spoken explicitly of Christ, but the messianic intentions of Psalm 16 are clear when we read it in light of the messianic message of the Bible as a whole. If that makes sense. If I'm losing you, I'm sorry. We can talk after. Uh, The last key is the key of F. And it applies the psalm to God's people in union with Christ. F for fellowship. And it represents the spiritual union we have with Christ, of whom the psalms are ultimately directed. True, we may often intuitively translate the psalms into this key. Usually safe to assume the Bible is talking about Jesus. That one's for free. Take that to the bank usually talking about Jesus. Um, Daily devotions, gospel-oriented Bible studies, and the things like that may and should live in this key, key of F, the fellowship, because of the focus on the work of Jesus and how the gospel truth binds us together um, with him. But still, it's important to know how and why we can sing and pray the Psalms for ourselves. Likewise, in applying them to ourselves, we should be careful, this is key, not to miss who is the king and who the worshipers are. Without attention to the previous keys, we may run the risk of employing messianic psalms for our own little kingdoms. But if we, if we try and frame things in the light of um, these different keys or these different lenses to read the Bible through, specifically the psalms, um, it'll help us avoid praying things like, my kingdom come. Or, or orient our hearts in such a way that, that we understand our position in relationship to God and it's his kingdom come. So this morning, uh, 
If you have your Bibles or smart device, go ahead and crack them open. We're going to be looking at Psalm 40. Um, We're really only going to dial in and look at the first three verses. But we're going to read all of Psalm 40 as a whole so that we don't miss any insight. The context of the whole psalm would give us. Um, Verses 4 through 17, outside of the first three, um, you can read them as almost like a reminder for the statement that is verses 1 through 3. Everything you read past the first three verses ought to remind you of the truth in the opening statements of the psalm. Um, Also, I don't know how how much of the Bible you read or how often you do it. Um, This is a psalm of David. And I like David a whole lot. Um, he's moody. I identify with that. You know, the melancholic musician. A little overdramatic sometimes. I also like that. It's, I feel like I'm reading a mirror, like a mirror reflection of myself. Whether or not that's good or bad, I don't know. It's just the way it is. Um, so buckle up, guys. We are going to read the whole psalm. I'm going to read the whole psalm. It's going to be on the screen behind us. It's going to be long, just like warning you, it might be a minute or two, but I challenge you to stay engaged with the text the whole way through. Try and think about the keys we just talked about of reading through these lenses as we truck through the whole psalm. Psalm 40. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up from the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet upon a rock, making my steps secure. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and hear and put their trust in the Lord. Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. Then I said, behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance and the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head and my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all 
who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought of me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O oh my God. Heaven and earth pass away, but the word of the Lord endures forever. Let's pray. Lord, thank you uh, for the gift uh, of church. Thank you for the gift of being together. Thank you for your word. Open our hearts and our minds as we study. In your son's name, amen. So right at the top here, verse three or verses one through three, guys, David says, waited. This is kind of the, 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 the crux where, where this whole psalm hinges is this concept of waiting. It's the key. Music. That was an accident. I didn't mean like music key. I just meant like it was key to like, it's important. Making jokes, guys. You got to keep up. This is an active participatory kind of waiting. Um, the Hebrew word, and I gotta, I've got a disclaimer this, guys. Uh, I don't speak Hebrew. I don't read Hebrew. I barely speak and read English. Okay, so... That, so uh, I went to seminary and I actively avoided any course trajectory that would have me take languages, but I can use a computer real good. Uh, I can use Bible software real good. And the word, uh, this waiting, this idea is kava. It's to bind together like a rope. It's two-pronged. To bind together like a rope. And the other part is to expect. So when David says he waited, he means he was binding himself around God with expectation. And it says that God heard David's cry. This is not passive waiting. It's not waiting for something to happen to you or for you. It is full entanglement with God knowing and expecting that he hears you. So wrapped up around God that you lose yourself in who he is because you're so intertwined with the pursuit of the heart of God. The question then becomes, how best do I fit in with what God is doing? Not necessarily how will this situation or whatever work for me. Um, if you've read the Old Testament at all or studied, we know that David uh, had some experience with waiting. Uh, he was just a kid when he was anointed to be the next king of Israel. And through a series of events, um, he spent like 10 years running from the current king that was trying to kill him uh, before he became king, before the original anointing. Um, was fulfilled 10 years run from somebody uh, to give you context of that just so that we don't lose sight of the kind of person David was I can't wait the three minutes for my hot pocket to be done you know like let alone running from someone for 10 years uh, the kind of waiting that David was real good at and I think this this begs the question why does this concept even matter to us like good for you David and I think the truth of the matter is um, 
we should be concerned about wrapping our hearts around Jesus and being engaged with him in all places and all seasons and all situations. And that is what waiting on the Lord looks like. It's not waiting for something to be done to you or, or for you. Waiting on the Lord is kind of one of those 10 cent Christianese words that people throw out a lot and, and oftentimes um, no, no thought is really given into that. It's like, what is waiting on the Lord means? Well, it's not passive. It's not sitting there waiting for God to show up. It is you pursuing and like a rope, binding yourself to God and expecting that he hears you. It's not self-focused, which is important. It is an intentional place of the focus back on the person of God. Um, I am a huge fan of the question, why? Uh, if, you, if you work with me, Maddie Bonham and Matt Bloom specifically, uh, most of the guys on staff here, I ask the question why a lot, like constantly questioning, constantly challenging. I feel like when you ask why, the net, whoever you asked why to, whatever statement was made, you have to double down on that. And then you ask why again, and then you just keep tugging on that thread until you get down to the bedrock of whatever the initial statement was. You find out what's there, what's underneath. But in, in, in the context of waiting, oftentimes, you know, you, why me? Why? You're asking the question. If we're truly bound up with the person of Jesus, church, then our heart is, not, is to seek his, not justification for our own answers or ideas or a reason for why things happen, but to pursue the heart of Jesus because we're so entangled with who he is. David continues and he says that he's in a pit of destruction and a miry bog. The imagery he uses conveys a terrible reality of what he is experiencing. He's descriptive, he's, he's artistic and moody and all the things that I love about it. Um, it's, a, it's a way of uh, expressing what he's feeling. And I looked up uh, this word and it's translated as destruction in the NASB, horrible in the KJV, and desolate in the RSV. And it's described elsewhere as a roaring or tumult, like, a, like stormy waves, like violent stuff. And so when we think of the usual meaning, pit, at least in like biblical languages, you guys remember when we went through that Joseph series a little while back? Uh, same, same kind of idea. A pit was like a well. They just dug a hole and there was water in there. Sometimes the water dried up. That's where they tossed Joseph. Uh, and that's what David is describing. He's in this deep water hole. But it's not just deep in water. It's also dark. It's also raging like a hurricane. You know, if you can imagine him describing it, and it's cold, and it's yada, 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 and he's, he's just going on about his situation, and he's not done. Like, he moves, he keeps going, and uh, describes it as a miry bog, this, this idea of mud. So, like, not only is it dark, wet, cold, violent movement, there's also mud, and it's dirty, and he's stuck. 
everything is terrible. Like his, his situation is just no bueno. He's not, not in a good spot. And these images are supposed to evoke sympathy, or most of us can relate to being in that situation where everything just seems hopeless and it's just life is just dumping it on one thing after the other after the other. Makes me think of this, uh, you guys know what memes are? They're like comics, they're, they're really dumb. I like them a lot. Me and Jeremiah Hinton, he teaches on staff here. We have a growing like thread, communication thread, email of memes. It, we're up to like 1,500 now, something like that. It's, it's impressive. Uh, so it made me, made me think of this, uh, this, the text here. Dog burning. This is fine, like, his house is burning down. <laughs> Um, now, I got another picture, and I'm curious if anybody knows who this historical figure is. <laughs> That's right. All right. Somebody said it. It's from the Princess Bride, Maine in Black. And uh, one of my favorite lines that this guy says, if you haven't seen the movie, by the way, in all, in, like, serious, go see it, Princess Bride. It's, it's a classic. But this guy... He has a very profound line in the movie. Life is pain. And anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. Life is pain. Anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. I think there is profound truth to that statement. Deep, profound truth. And Psalm 40, church, doesn't shy away from the pain. It doesn't shy away or try and sugarcoat the situation that David finds himself in. He is honest. He's real. He's descriptive. He's not pulling his punches. And oftentimes, just as an encouragement for us, uh, following God isn't easy. Oftentimes, you find yourself in the pit because of Jesus and sometimes not, sometimes uh, just life, life is hard. But we, church, like David, can take comfort in the fact that God hears us in the pain and in the tough places. And that we're all, all in this together, church. Death happens, sickness happens, Lost jobs happen, broken relationships happen. None of this is new, and nobody is immune to this stuff. Don't waste your time trying to appear perfect. It's just not true, and it's not reality. And we do ourselves a disservice by not fully engaging with each other, particularly when we find ourselves in the pits, as David describes. Psalm 40 helps us express both the pain and the suffering, but also in our hope and trust that God has the ability and does hear us. We talked about those keys 
way at the beginning of this thing. I want to remind you of, of the key of F, the fellowship with Christ. That the reality is that despite being in the pit and despite pain and brokenness and, and confusion, um, that we are bound together with Christ because of the work of the gospel and that when we wait on the Lord, we wrap ourselves around who he is. That it is, there is an active participation with God in those times and hope in the person of Jesus Christ and the work of the gospel. At this time, I'm going to call the band up. I want to read a quote. Um, I want to read a quote from John Piper as we prepare to respond together this morning. Uh, if you're new here, we have tables uh, placed around the sanctuary for communion. Uh, the band's going to play some music behind to give us... Um, some, some movement behind us. Feel free to take communion at any time. You have a while. Don't feel rushed to take communion right away. I encourage you, if you came with a family um, or a family member or a friend, uh, go ahead and take it together. Pray for one another. Uh, use this time to respond to God. Um, and after, after we've responded, uh, we're going to sing one, one last song and. It will be done for today. But John Piper says on Psalm 40, God can deliver from every sort of pit and mire and will deliver his servants from any plight that would destroy their faith. And when he does, we will sing. Verse 3 says, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. People who never sing, at least in their hearts, are people who do not cherish anything very deeply or feel intense gratitude for anything. They are the sort of people who take all life for granted. God is a God that can deliver church. And I just want to challenge us this morning in, in how do we respond to that? How do we rejoice and sing and how do we worship? Regardless of the situation, that God is worthy of worship and how are we pursuing him? How are we waiting on the Lord, wrapping our hearts around who he is? The reality, church, is that we live in a very fast-paced society that demands the quickest, most efficient product, event, solution to whatever the issue or deficiency might be. Not only does Christ enter into our messy and often self-destructive lives, but he offers peace and security that vastly eclipses everything else. The trick is learning to wait patiently on the Lord and learn to place the focus away from ourselves and onto the person of Jesus as we wait. God does some of his best work with us when we bind ourselves to him and wait on him with expectation, like Psalm 40 says. So let our response to the hard times, to feeling stuck in the pit, to be to rejoice in the goodness of God, to worship and to trust that he is completely capable of rescuing us. To trust that he is completely capable of rescuing us. 
So collectively, church, let's bind ourselves up together in Christ and wait on him together. Would you stand with me as we read 1 Corinthians? For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Lord, we come to you this morning. Now, some of us are, are really struggling. Some of us are confused. And some of us aren't any of those things. But regardless of our situations, God, would you help us to bind ourselves to you, God, to seek your heart with expectation. God, remind us that you hear us, that our prayers don't shoot out into nothingness. And God, would you encourage our hearts as we respond together this morning, as we remember the work of Christ and the hope that we have in the gospel. Would you reveal more of yourself to us as we respond together.